0: Spy Cops Info Podcast A series on the secret undercover political police who spied on over a thousand campaign groups since 1968
1: Hashtag Spy Cops Pod Episode 14 In Conversation with Ben and Kate Wilson
2: by cops info podcast this evening we are me kate and ben and we're both core participants in the public inquiry and we have invited our neighbor brian over to ask us about spy cops and the undercover policing inquiry and the issues around it public inquiry kind of dumps thousands and thousands of pages of incomprehensible documents and then does a load of witness statements and then goes away again for a year and a half Mm -hmm. we felt like the story has been told over and over and over again and so it's quite hard for us to know
1: what's interesting interesting
2: also because the the information that we've got keeps adding up and it's very difficult to get people up to speed from not knowing very much about it to having an idea of everything that's happened
1: like introduce yourself
2: yeah I grew up in South London went to State School and then to Oxford University and got involved in political campaigning at Oxford because there's a big immigration detention centre there uh, where they just lock people up. I think the first 165 people locked up in it was a plane load of people from Jamaica who came to visit their families for Christmas and the government went, oh! got a in empty detention centre let's try it out and they just detained an in entire
1: 1994. plane
2: load of people yeah oh, so anyway I arrived in Oxford in 1996 and there was a campaign going on we did demos up there every month my parents were politically active but not the kind of I guess radical direct action politics that I got involved in they were Labour Party activists CND they used to be taken to Die ins in the park or hold hands around Aldermarston and that, that sort of thing. There you go. Um, so I kind of grew up around left wing politics.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, my mother was a teacher. My father was a public servant, worked in the Treasury, I think. Um, very much a middle class family. I don't remember being interested in politics, but at some stage. I uh, noticed French nuclear testing going on and uh, um, Ken were about to be murdered on the behest of Shell and uh, got vaguely involved in well, boycotting things and and whatever and uh, at some stage my being a vegetarian became more political as I progressed to veganism and started uh, doing hunt- sabotage. Early 90s, mid 90s, just in time for the 94 Criminal Justice Act, which Mm. did a very good job of radicalising large numbers of people who had been doing their thing and were suddenly part of a group that was being Mm. criminalised, be it uh, hunt saboteurs in my case, or squatters, or ravers, uh, ravers yeah, free yep. party scene, or uh, travellers—a whole bunch of people suddenly finding themselves being criminalised and uniting. Um, yeah. But it, al- almost instantly, I didn't know it at the time, obviously, but almost instantly, I, um, when I uh, got involved in hunt sabo- sabotage, I was. Uh, in the presence of an undercover cop and arrested with an undercover cop and it was 25
1: years later that I find out that. The scale of the spy culture kind of shocked me actually when I started looking at that it just seems a huge effort.
2: One of the big things about it is it's all it's all very secret and there's this undercover policing inquiry that's going on that is supposed to be looking into undercover policing like the Hmm. the terms of reference are looking into undercover policing from 1968 to 2014 i think but they've they've kind of i mean i think possibly even the people who set up the undercover policing inquiry weren't really aware of the scale of it Hmm. so we're only talking about two uh, uh, two units that were working undercover spying on political protests uh left-wing political protest. So there's there's all kinds of other. I mean when people think about undercover policing the first things that they think of and the first things that the police will talk about is child pornography, it's terrorism, um and it's it's, orga- it's organized crime yeah, and criminal uh-huh. gangs. But and that's not
0: what we're talking about. And yeah, that's not what those departments did. Ever. Those
2: departments did none of that. that was mm-hmm. not they were only meant. spying on le- and I don't know the exact figures but I think it's what well, we're talking a 50 years. Yeah.
0: is the uh, what's been looked at by the Public Inquiry for just those two departments, the SDS and the MPOIU, spanning 50 years. So. I
2: mean, so far we know that they spied on around a 1,000 different political groups. Yeah. That's what the Inquiry has said. They, We know about 200, 250 of those, and three of them were right-wing. Mm. All of the rest were on the left. And they include... Really mainstream organizations like, like and serving MPs. I mean, you know, anybody, anybody on the left. And they weren't, they, you, they specifically weren't investigating crime. Yeah. They were gathering intelligence and they would actually let crimes happen. And, and because it.
0: Or arguably even <laughs> encourage crimes to happen. And we have mm. absolutely no doubt from our own experiences that there was an element of agent provocateur going sure. on. There are examples which in the uh, and amongst animal rights of of undercover police officers taking part in arson attacks mm-hmm. in which from the number of people involved and the number of fires it started it's almost certain that one of those officers it was starting fires yes. started
1: the fire yeah. who was running this who was controlling this who and this and uh, this is one that I want to get into you know whatever this the idea is is there any oversight what we know is that
0: the top police knew about the existence of the SDS and would visit the safe houses and occasionally to be informed about what's going on so definitely within the police force it was known about to the to the top to what degree ministers knew it's, we know that the, it's
2: pretty clear that the early on yeah. the the ministers like the home office was yeah. signing off on it they yeah. knew it was happening it's, who, who we, we, the, we know less later on. So basically, there's a, the original unit, what, which we're calling the SDS. They, they go through this like alphabet soup of name changing, but right. primarily it's the SDS and the MPOIU. The SDS is a special demonstration squad. Right. And they were set up in 1968 after the Grosvenor Square anti-Vietnam riots. And some bright spark in the Metropolitan Police said, give me a handful of officers and a budget, and I'll make sure that never happens again and basically sent people in, Um, and they...
0: Which is where we get to the fact that this isn't about stopping crime, this is about controlling dissent and steering dissents, to the point that you have, for example, the the very rare undercover officer who was a woman in the uh, Women's Liberation Front, who was part of the committee that chose to change, voted to change the name to the Revolutionary Women's Front, thereby making it that much more dangerous and justifiable to be spying on them. Um, Positions of influence and steering the direction of social movements. This idea that we're only seeing this tiny little bit about these two units from within the police. What we know of the SDS from the public inquiry is that virtually all their reports were handed straight up to MI5. Uh, there's a little tick box that said, centre box.
2: Box 500, that yeah. was MI5. And
0: We don't know what they were, yeah. we were doing, we're yeah. just seeing a little bit. What we are seeing, though, is the state... Spying d- on citizens. Not just spying, yeah. no, they're playing with, they're manipulating yeah. political progress. They're manipulating sure. our democratic rights to, yeah, to. organise... And to dissent. What's the legal basis for this in the UK? This is
2: so. This is where the the changeover between the SDS and the MPOIU is kind of interesting. Because when the when the SDS were operating, I I'm not sure there was
0: we didn't have the Human Rights Act any
2: legal basis for it. And the MPOIU comes into play in 2000, Mm -hmm. at the same time as the Human Rights Act and the Regulation of Investigatory Powers Act. And then suddenly there is.
1: I mean, this impacted other countries. I know there was... Oh, you know, absolutely. The, you know, it's been reported in the Republic of Ireland that there were spy cops.
2: It's, I mean, that the public inquiry into undercover policing is very, very specific. Hmm. It says it is an inquiry into undercover policing conducted by police forces of England and Wales, in England and Wales. Hmm. So, for example, Mark, who was my partner and an undercover cop, Mark and I went to Dublin. But the investigation into wrongdoing by Mark in that time ends when we cross the border in the Republic of Ireland. The Irish government at the time put out a very short statement saying that yes, there was spy cops in the Republic of Ireland, but they were only spying on British activists who had travelled to Ireland. That's not true. Yes, we know that's not true. Well, we now the, have. Well, if you had, that's if you had not a true. pint with,
1: with five people in a Double pub in and court. took notes,
2: Mark went to a number of events in the republic of ireland including the protests against bush's visit at shannon airport Mm -hmm. and the dublin May Day 2004 protests um and he was he was there quite a lot he also did a speaker tour of ireland encouraging irish people to come to the g8 summit protests in the uk so which he which he organized and
0: bankrolled iceland did a tour of Europe encouraging people to go and do direct action in Iceland. Iceland.
2: He, went, he went there at least once and was involved in direct action, including sabotage to a vehicle.
1: Do we know, do other countries participate in this sort of activity?
2: So Germany sen- sent a number of undercover cops to the UK... And the UK also sent undercover cops to Germany around the G8 summit protests. Informed
1: or uninformed? They, 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 oh, side. It was a cooperative there's a, thing. Was, yeah, they're a yeah, cooperative yeah. thing. So there's, there's a, the u- there's a European
2: <laughs> task force of yeah. police forces that get together and cooperate on undercover policing and also things like GPS trackers on people's cars. There's a kind of information sharing. Not sure how that's going to work post-Brexit, i have to say, but because uh, mm. the UK is, is basically a leading police force on undercover policing and intelligence gathering so yes other countries send undercover police to places and have undercover police but that britain was i don't know if they still are but they certainly were contracting out undercover police to go to events in europe
0: oh um, and we do training and all kinds
1: of stuff for pe- you know oppressive regimes all over the world i mean what, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a specialty inquiry that was, went on before Christmas struck me as sort of there was many aspects of it that were kind of farcical and this idea that you couldn't record what the people were saying but you had to have actors doing their voices and stuff I mean what's that all about? What the the you,
2: inquiry's it? happening very slowly and they want it to cause as little ripples as possible
0: and they want as so many they... people involved to die naturally in their beds before they get to tell us what happened and they're making it as
2: inaccessible (laughs) as possible they're also instrumentalizing covid to a large extent to make it well i mean so there's no longer everything is now of zoom Mm -hmm. effectively and but you're not allowed to watch it from your own home you have to go to a hotel to watch it on a video screen but the people who are giving evidence are not there the judge is not there so you're seeing them on a screen and it's quite important because I've been there and watched them so you can't you can't see the video stream from anywhere apart from the hotel in London and it is it is actually quite important I've listened to it from home and then I've been there and seen it happening on the video screen and you lose a lot the facial expressions the tone of voice and also not just the facial expression of the person who's talking but seeing the facial expressions of the lawyers who are asking the questions and the chair of inquiry itself. I mean, so there was one really full-on moment in the last round of evidence where a an undercover police officer was describing how he punched an activist in the face. And if you were listening to the audio stream of that evidence, you wouldn't have seen the smirk on the face of the barrister asking the questions, who clearly thought it was hilarious. And that sort of... Mm-hmm. That sort of body language stuff
1: for sure.
2: is just lost when it's not a proper public space. Do so.
1: they justify
0: at all? kind of measure of uh, success, that idea of quantifying yeah. in some way your uh, success, has made me question the figures that you see for the number of terrorist activities stopped by, sure. you know... It's We've stopped 10,000 terror attacks this year or whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah but... What does that now, actually what is that, mean? Because, what, <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 you know, what, we, we what were there, qualifies. so
2: we know the kind of things. <laughs> um, I mean, it's interesting because, because are, are you, everything that you read is critical. Like, yes. their own internal reports, and they all say whilst we recognise that this is an extremely valuable, extremely important, you know, cost-effective, very, you know, they, they, they make very vague, completely unspecified assertions about how important the undercover policing has been and then provide very, very detailed criticisms about where it's been badly done. And that's their own reports on it. And there's very, very few actual examples given of of actual successes and there's and wh- quite a few of them where we were there and we were involved in the things that they're saying you know this this was very successfully policed
0: and for it's example, for example uh king's north power station the climate camp at king's north power station after the event this is an event that cost eight million in policing involved god knows how many uh, different police forces their own internal report is highly critical of uh flows of information and uh, uh, intelligence bottlenecks and stuff like this. And specifically it's criticised as uh, disproportionate policing. There were um, judicial reviews, uh, there were 3,000 stop and searches which were ruled to have been unlawful payouts to god knows how many people. This is one of the successes of if we have good intelligence from undercover policing, we can proportionately police.
2: The internal police reviews of the policing of that event specifically criticise intelligence coming out of the camp, saying that it fed into a feedback loop that ramped up the aggressiveness of the policing outside the camp and was one of the reasons why it was aggressively over-policed. The other example that springs to mind is uh, June 18th, 1999, where they actually had an undercover officer, the Metropolitan Police had an undercover officer embedded in the organising group. Reclaim the street. He'd been around for four or five years, he was, you know, right, very, right there in the, the the kind of group that was plotting out the logistics for that event. but. Policing of events in the City of London is done by City of London Police, who weren't given that intelligence and were basically set up to fail by the Metropolitan Police, who Metropolitan knew, police exactly knew exactly what was going to happen, happen on the where day. it was going to
0: happen, who was going to do it, how they were going to do it. They didn't pass on this information. They let the City of London Police completely lose control, and then
2: took over. Took over
0: the budget came for special events in the up, City we'll of London. We'll do this from now on. Hmm.
2: I knew six of these undercover officers over a 12 year period and I've now seen quite a lot of the reporting that they were doing on events that I attended. So much of what was going on and also looking at the stuff from way back, I mean this isn't something that started in in 1999, looking at stuff coming out from the late 60s, 70s, early 80s, so much of what was going on was about justifying the existence of the operations. These were self-justifying operations. You know, they got the funding based on the intelligence that they produced, and it's they got the, got that funding to produce more intelligence. Mm. And so they would be coming back, and they would be saying, you know, yeah, this group's really interesting.
0: That mm. was, uh, the, the, like, it's a sex up sure. dossier. Everybody, in every stage, is kind of bigging it up. Yeah. Bigging up what they're doing, bigging up the importance of this. And every year, this justifies their continued uh, deployment it justifies their management's uh, c- continued budget it can justifies the continuation existence of the whole department and you know right up the chain they're all lying and it's, lying. Cu- and they it's all...
2: totally conscious <laughs> we're looking at authorization applications that they're submitting higher up the chain to get permission just going this is mental
0: these authorization documents go to people in of a uh, higher rank, officers outside of uh, the, the, the actual department, are, yeah. outside of the um, outside of the unit.
1: Yeah, is there something in the nature of the way the police are organised in the UK that it leads to this kind of stuff? There's, I, don't th- know, I, think, there's, I think there's like that.
2: 42 different police forces in the UK or yeah. something, and and they all hate the Met. Um, and i think so this is there's like the uk does not have a national police force it has a number of local police forces but the metropolitan police london metropolitan police is the national police force that it doesn't have
1: it's recourse to sort of international human rights court
2: the issue with the international human rights court well the european (laughs) human rights courts is that in order to take a case to the international human rights course, you have to have exhausted all national hmm. legal recourse that you have. One of the uh, so I've taken the human rights claim to the IPT. IPT initially. The sorry, the Investigatory Powers Tribunal in the UK. It's basically the court. It's 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 kind of a weird, shadowy department of the Home Office that, that's a tribunal that here's cases of human rights abuses committed by the secret state. And I had to take my case there, because otherwise I couldn't go to Strasbourg, mm-hmm. because I wouldn't have gone Interested. through all the yeah. all the legal recourse. As it happens, it, we took the case to the Investigatory Powers Tribunal and it looks like we're going to win it, which means we still can't go to internet because we won. <laughs> Where like, if you have received justice, already so uh, there was a group of women who took the spy cops undercover relationships to CEDAW, which is the United Nations Convention for the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women. They were told that because they had already been to court in the UK and had received compensation that they no longer had victim status and that the CEDAW therefore wouldn't consider their, their claim. Um, so it's quite complicated actually to take stuff to the international court.
1: This this business with the you know the relationships was that frowned upon? Was that encouraged?
2: That's one of the big questions that that we took to court was about to what extent was this a tactic that was being used
0: and no- knowledge to what extent and
2: known about all the way up the chain? Um, and it was quite interesting because at the same week that we were in court and the police were saying there's no you know there was no knowledge up the chain there was this you know this was absolutely these guys on their own yeah, rogue rogue officers Bad at the same week that, that was going on you had spy cops officers from the 1970s giving evidence where they basically said yeah of course it was known he this guy was a womanizer it was well known that he was a womanizer we used to make jokes with the commanding officers there's 27 women who are core participants in the public inquiry because they have relationships. There are others who have chosen not to take part. I think when we were preparing the case to say, well, you know, it's all very well to say that Mark was a rogue officer, you know, and it's kind of, if you looked at my relationship in isolation, you could possibly get away with saying that. I don't think could given the evidence but it mm. becomes completely ridiculous when you look at the extent and the scope and mm. you know it's like you, you could have you could have failed to notice it mm. once you...
0: i <laughs> think we came to the figure of over 50 mm. women known to have had relationships so there were only 27 i mean the the idea that mark was holding <laughs> this a secret is nonsense it's absolute nonsense
2: i mean mark <laughs> has said that it's nonsense um mm. he gave evidence to the Home Affairs Select Committee in which he talks he says a whole bunch of stuff including saying it's absolutely impossible that my handlers didn't know who, they knew who I was with they knew where I was sleeping every night I was I mean you can see in the in the contact logs every that night got,
0: before he goes to bed he will send a text message to his handler good night and likewise in the morning first thing that happens is like there's a contact so it's like constant all day dozens of times a day they're in communication with each other and last thing at night so his handler knows where he is who's going out for night. drinks
2: with where and he's who sleeping. he is with
0: you know when he's not at his operational address mm. if he's sleeping somewhere else this handler knows about it to i mean that's
2: how they operate to
0: imagine is. that he couldn't have known over the seven nine years whatever it is of the deployment couldn't have known, Didn't. couldn't cross mm. his mind. This is a, supposedly a professional yeah, yeah, yeah. intelligence-gathering no, no, unit. They couldn't figure yeah. out that when a guy's sleeping at somebody at somebody <laughs> else's house, there might be something going on.
1: Has there been any show of remorse for having done something that's really immoral from any of these guys? But,
2: I mean, there has, there has been a public apology to several of the women um, who had relationships from... metropolitan police there have been some of the officers who have expressed remorse but it's it's very complicated listening to any of the statements or 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 interviews given by the officers themselves the the mental illness there is palpable you know these people were living double lives mark in his evidence to the home affairs select committee there's this this point in the transcript where you're reading it and he's basically he's asked if he deceived us the women that he was with and and he talks about one woman and he says no and you can see the confusion in the interviewers who are like what what, what do you mean no and he's like well no they had a relationship with Mark Stone and Mark Stone loved him very much and, and he's talking about himself in the third person mm-hmm. as these like two separate people Mark Kennedy did his job and he was a good policeman and Mark Stone was a good activist and a loving partner and it's just like you are mental man like
1: uh, <laughs> what the fuck has it, I mean if to you touch on that has there been any psychiatrists involved or you know therapists you know to talk to these guys oh, to, that's
0: interesting well, during his deployment he is supposed to have a regular uh-huh. um, the, de- the exact number of times is uh, actually redacted so we don't know how often he's supposed to it's always like a black yeah. <laughs> redaction but uh, he's supposed to you know, see this person on a regular basis and what we know is that that didn't happen and he was suing them and, uh, suing the police for his trauma Yes, he was, he was
2: suing the police for emotional damages. I don't know what came of that. And there's a few of the officers who have subsequently kind of turned against the police and said, you know, you, your duty of care to me as an employer, you didn't do it. Likewise, the police are investigating a number of these officers for potential criminal offences either because of the uh, relationships that they had or because of crimes that they might have committed whilst undercover. like It's not necessarily an easy relationship. And okay. in the public inquiry, some of these officers are represented by the police legal team, but most of them have their own lawyers. And there is a definite sense that there may be a conflict of interest. And I think fundamentally these police officers know that they will be hung out to dry.
0: Which to you protect can, the top brass. And you, you can, can, you see, can it see it happening. We can see clearly with Mark. Mark is totally being hung out to dry. If they could make it all disappear by being so about bad apples, then yeah. they yeah. totally would. Mm. And um, they're trying to have their cake and eat it very much.
1: Have things improved? Are they going to improve? How, will we, how do you improve this? What's they the future? They don't want to, and are not
0: yeah. going to. Like, the bill, the threatened erosion of the existence of uh, the Human Rights Act in British law. The state has been using these political policing units to control dissent and to maintain the status quo and obviously they don't want to let go of that ability and they're not going to uh, and when we catch them what happens is they change the name of the so the MPou stopped existing in 2012, shortly after this whole thing blew up, but it hasn't gone away. It's just changed its fucking initials. I mean, sure. it's uh, several times actually yeah. uh, <laughs> since then. Um, the alphabet soup has, has shuffled,
1: but yeah. the political policing undercover cops are still out there they get cut out once so people are going to be on the lookout for the you know for this kind of thing how you can catch them i don't know i mean we have facial recognition we have all yeah. kinds of techniques you know these days you know so you can yeah. well this,
2: it's get it i mean i think it must be doing the kind of infiltration that they were mm. doing with us has got to be getting harder because of social media
1: yeah
0: like but, but these and, and these days like, social media.
2: well you mm. can you can infiltrate
0: the, the ability to through, disrupt social movements through social media has probably grown because our yeah. networks of trust face-to-face organizing mm. have were really badly impacted destroyed mm. basically like 2010 is a like an end of things for a lot of organizing that was going on you know it was quite devastating
2: 2010 because that's when the news broke, that's when we found out right. that... Mm. Like, there was so much the, the, mm. Well, we, we, Mark yeah. Kennedy was uncovered. Probably
1: um, there was like six of them in the space of... Exposed in the space of... And that was as a result of social media? How, how did no. they get exposed? No, Just... it was...
2: A... It's, the way that they became exposed was mainly through the intimate relationships that they had with women. Part of the reason why we are sure that the intimate relationships was a tactic is because when you sit down together in a room with women who have had relationships with a number of different officers over a period of decades and talk about the experiences that you had and how those relationships were.
1: There's a format.
2: There are formats, yeah. Yeah. And one of the formats was ending the relationship by faking an emotional breakdown, basically setting the scene, leaving people extremely distressed and worried about their loved one and a number of the women who that happened to went in search Mm. of their partner who had had an emotional breakdown and disappeared and started to have suspicions and started to find stuff out things that led people to realize that the person that they had been with wasn't real Mm. and there was basically a coming together of different experiences in 2010
0: because we're talking about people over decades, decades who had had this experience and had suspicions and paranoia but no con- confirmation. Mm. It snowballed. Um, and uh, yeah, one of the Guardian journalists worked on a story and just like over a period of six months or so, I think it was like mm. six, seven officers confirmed by the police as yep. having been undercover cops. And uh, devastating effect on the... On a whole bunch of different movements yeah. like how can you work with people when you know that other people have had the experience of their their lover for six years, years yeah. being a cop. Yeah. The, per- the, the person who came to you to join an action was a cop. You know people not on the periphery watching Yeah, the person who who comes to you and says,
2: hey, we're organising this great thing, do you want to be involved? Mm. The person who was the general secretary of the branch of the political Mm. group that you were involved in was a cop. Like, The treasurer
0: of the account for the funds (laughs) for the action that you were... You know, how can you organise any more? It it was devastating. For a generation. But... 2010 was also a shift so uh, 2010
2: was Milbank. student protests that yeah there was they were but there was a real generational gap
0: with, with no uh continuity pass passing on of just like
2: passing on a paranoia that's what that yeah, was our legacy yeah exactly <laughs> our legacy
0: was the world is full of cops
2: So, yeah, and and I I mean, I think one of the really important things about it is the understanding that there is a narrative in Britain about freedom and democracy and political choice. The reality is very, very different, and the role of the police in, in managing political possibilities is is much greater yep. than the democratic narrative would suggest. And I mean particularly I, mean, I think it's really significant for those of us who grew up during the nineteen eighties or or before this you know, this idea that the communist bloc they were not free. They had yeah. these these secret police units and, you know, who would Yeah theirs the, came the from person that
0: ours are still out there.
2: Compared to, say what happened in East Germany with the Stasi or all of these, like Romania or places where there is a, there was a process of kind of truth and reconciliation. Hmm. That is not what is happening here. And it is not what is happening here because the establishment Problem. has C- no intention complete, complete. of allowing a free and democratic society. And that, you know, even as
0: an anarchist,
2: this. you know, had some fairly cynical ideas about politics... The extent of establishment control of left-wing political movements mm. that has come out through the course of this by stand or surprised me.
1: What would be your ideal scenario?
0: Ideal spy, scenario yeah. would be the enlightenment of people about the manipulation that the, 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 the state establishment has and the political choices that we have. Our involvement and options and scope for getting involved directing our own lives which is invisible to us
2: and it's quite hard to talk about this stuff without sounding like a tin hat mentalist but if you just take a like a really clear example climate camp the police were targeting that it was a very very high priority target for the police was to disrupt and undermine campaigning around climate change which is now killing hundreds of people across Europe like the yeah. flooding the fires it was a priority for the metropolitan police to, fuck to undermine people who were campaigning on that sure. issue now they're not scientists and they're not policy makers no. but so, they so had and, a but,
1: really and they are one only the one point. element yeah. of well, yeah. why you know what, where where did that you know where did that order come from where did that idea come from is that so just a systemic
2: the key issue is mission creep quite small people people kind of think james bond romance spying no petty bureaucrats you're talking petty bureaucrats who want to keep their jobs they have quite a cushy thing set up and they have very very broad remit they were sent in on fishing expeditions they weren't sent in to investigate crime they were sent in to gather intelligence and the By a fairly arbitrary set of criteria, the better intelligence they were getting, the more secure their job would be. That is what they are working towards. Mm. The language gets sexed up as it gets passed up the chain. Mm. Take that intelligence and make this group seem more interesting, make our job seem more important. And so you get this mission
0: creep. You, you've got the people who are just like Bigging up their job And bigging up their importance And getting continuation of their funding And their departments civil sort of service Yeah, like, you, know, you get all that yeah. But somebody's signing off on this hmm. And those people are being rewarded A lot of money hmm. okay. The
2: whole kind of revolving door <laughs> Yes Between
0: Exactly, police and coming corporate Coming from the
2: police and going into Into the
0: corporate world
2: Corporate sure. world
1: Oh yeah who makes the decision to go after the climate change people?
2: So At the time that the decisions were being made about Mark Kennedy, there was ACPO Tam. ACPO is the Association of Chief of Police Officers. It was a private company. But I don't quite know how it works, like public-private partnership thing. But the ACPO was a private a company. Private company. And there was the something called. It's Complicated. ACPO-TAM. Uh, terrorism, terrorism and,
0: al- and Associated, associated
2: matters. matters. That was us, we're the Associated Matters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and they would have meetings where they set priorities. Most of the time they just whinged about funding and how they could get more funding. For, but decisions about what Mark was going to do were basically led by what Mark wanted to do. Hmm. There's a lot of self-tasking going on.
1: But if you give an operative that level of decision-making ability surely yeah it encourages corruption
2: i think it probably does attract people with a
1: dubious, dubious moral
2: compass <laughs> <laughs> um but i think it probably also makes corrupt people because people are being trained to lie and people are being rewarded for lying and the more that they lie the better the rewards
1: <laughs> is is this a role that police should have at all no 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 No, absolutely not.
0: What you can never justify is interference in democratic political processes and in opinion forming and in dissent. The country is poorer for the loss of disrupting uh, progressive change. We are poorer for it. In fact, Europe is on fire
1: because of, because
2: of it. Having been a target of this myself, I am increasingly sceptical of the policing that claims to be anti-terror. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Awful things that happened um, don't justify the characterisation and targeting of an entire community and that is effectively what happened with us so the undercover police were sent in to target a community centre ran a cafe it had a bar it had an events room it ha- hosted a vast range of political and community groups and meetings from you know gardening collectives to people pro- planning protest against the G8
0: post office closures
2: it it was
0: reported on by mark kennedy
2: and they they explicitly targeted the entire community mm. it's not about policing violence it's about controlling people's ideas mm. demonizing an entire community
0: not to mention justifying your own ex- existence and budget um, and playing yeah. things up and mm. making things happen that wouldn't have happened otherwise how do you stop it We need to expose it. We need to always challenge the unaccountability and the impunity that defines our political processes.
1: How do you go about exposing it? Because one of the things you guys have mentioned several times, the whole sort of tin hat, you know, we're not really quite nice. lucky
0: in that we are actually getting disclosure and evidence mm-hmm. from public inquiry, but also through Kate's Investigatory Powers Tribunal, the disclosure there. So
1: <laughs> th- there's evidence there <laughs> to back it up. If you could say this is only the case under a Tory government or under a Labour government, it, it has made no difference. It no, no. makes no difference.
2: Yeah. You know, the government changes once every four years or ten years or twenty years or whatever. The people that run the country don't change that regularly and Mm. just the role of public servants Mm.
0: top-ranking police officers don't change with the change of government Mm. and we are talking about a police force which has been spying on elected left-wing members of parliament
2: the uh, idea of defunding the police Uh is an important one and i clearly defining and limiting what it is the police are supposed to be doing and removing funding for things that are outside of that remit and the discretionary powers of the police to target protest. Mm -hmm. There is huge political discretion in in what the police do and in the decisions that Mm -hmm. they make.
1: Because, you know, you talk about the, the Met Police who have taken over this role of the National Police. You know I mean, I, mean? I, d-
2: I, do th- I do think, looking specifically at the Metropolitan Police, that it, it is so rotten. I mean, the Daniel Morgan inquiry basically mm. found that the Metropolitan Police were institutionally corrupt, mm. at which point I think that there is a serious argument for saying this police force needs to be disbanded mm. and you need to start again... I think they are
1: unredeemable. So is there any light at the end of the tunnel? No.
0: (laughs) 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 This hasn't gone away. Undercover policing has been exposed. It's no longer just paranoia. We knew about the corporate spies, you know, like the private detectives sent by McDonald's into London Greenpeace who outnumber the actual actual members of of the group. We knew about that. Now we know, for certain, absolutely categorically, that the police are involved in manipulating and disrupting political campaigning. No question about it, it's reality. Knowing that is a big step forward.
2: With that information, people will find new ways forward. It's, it's an
0: ongoing ba- battle, yeah. it's an everlasting struggle, Like they're not going to stop. Uh,
2: what we do is open up
0: political space. Check out spycops.info